All right, welcome to the Red Triangle Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Kozlowski, doing an NBA All-Stars podcast today, second one of the day. Ran a baseball one out earlier with uh, Shane Stein and Nate Fretz. This time, I am riding with the big dog, Eddie Mitchum. It's great to be here as always, Matt. Yeah, we missed you this morning, but uh, now we're getting into something that's a little more your speed here with the NBA rather than baseball so i wanted to do a little all-star podcast today talk about the east and west all-stars and how this translates to dfs and guys that we like to play on DraftKings um and FanDuel, and then talk about some guys that didn't really have a shot to be in the all-star game per se um but guys that we love to run out there our our personal dfs all-stars guys that we find are good values and guys that we're always checking each night to see if their matchup is one worth playing. Um, let's get right into the East All-Stars. The East All-Stars starting, voted in by the fans. LeBron James, Paul George, Carmelo Anthony, Dwayne Wade, and the hometown guy Kyle Lowry is going to be starting um, in Toronto in a couple weeks. The East Reserves, Jimmy Butler, DeMar DeRozan, Paul Millsap, Andre Drummond, Chris Bosh, John Wall and Isaiah Thomas representing the Celtics. Thought that was an interesting one. Um, real life NBA. Any snubs? Any guys on here that you're kind of like, why are they in this game? No, I mean, obviously, looking at production, I think you look at Kobe. He's a guy that struggled all year, but I mean, I understand why he's there. Um, well, first yeah. of all, I guess I should name the West All Stars then. Um, that's all right. West All Stars starters: Kobe, Steph Curry, Russ Westbrook, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, and then coming off the bench: Draymond Green, um, James Harden, Chris Paul, Clay Thompson, Anthony Davis, Boogie Cousins, and Lamarcus Aldridge. So we all know Kobe doesn't belong. Um, any other guys you're kind of looking at them like, yeah, yeah? I mean. Isaiah Thomas is one that kind of sticks out. I feel like he's extremely up and down, um, especially when it comes to the fantasy landscape. He's a tough guy to roll out there in that that upper echelon and know that you're going to get that five times value from him. Um, You know, he explodes one night and the next night you really get a clunker from it. It really hurts your lineup. Um, You know, the hometown guy in Lowry, I think he's a guy that's really come on strong here over the last couple weeks. Um, Spent a little time looking at his game log because he's a guy – that I feel like I need to start getting in my lineups more because he's coming on so strong. And I looked back at his last 15 games. Um, he's been under 35 points twice, which that's at, at the $8,500 range. Um, he's listed at 8-7 tomorrow, so 35 points. He's creeping right around that five times value um, more times than not. And he also has some some really nice games sprinkled in there. So that, I think that's a guy that... Um, definitely belongs in what, what he's doing lately. Um, looking back at his games past, he had a lot of 20 games fantasy-wise sprinkled in there, 25-point games in the low 30s. Um, but I really think he's found himself this year um, and bringing, bringing DeRozan with him. And that's another guy that I think I need to find more of in my lineups as well. Yeah, DeRozan and Lowry are guys I've been playing a lot um, the last couple of weeks just because it seems like their whole offense runs through those two guys and then uh, an occasional Valanciunas here and there. But Lowry and DeRozan are guys that their volume is so heavy and it seems like Lowry shoots a ton of threes, which you like in DFS, and DeRozan just goes to the cup constantly, um, gets himself to the free throw line. So those are two two things that you kind of look for in a DFS guy, guys that you like. So I've seen a little bit of Toronto the last couple uh, weeks, and I like what I see from those two guys. Um, guy for me, I don't have his numbers in front of me, but we're talking a little bit about DFS. Anthony Davis, he has to be in this game because I understand he's one of the 12 best players in the West. But is he even having like that good of a season? I... Yeah, I don't have his numbers in front of me either, but <clears throat> you know we're going to talk about guys out of this group that we fade. And Anthony Davis is one of the top guys in this all-star group that I absolutely fade. Um, you know, I've been burnt by him once 
he left the game in the first quarter with an injury, and I just refused to let that happen to me again. And it happened again the other night to a lot of people across the landscape. They were all over Anthony Davis. Everyone was talking him up, and then he gets the concussion and he's gone. Um, so that, like, that's a risk that I'm not willing to take. I know it can happen to any player any given night that they could leave the game with an injury, but you know, I, I want to put my eggs in a basket that's more likely not to uh, – leave with an injury but Anthony Davis just brings that that option to the table far too often and at the price range I know uh, a week or two ago when I was looking back at him and we were having this conversation on our own I said I I won't pay up for him because to get to five times he needs to get 50 points and he just almost never does that yeah Um, I mean he does have some explosive games in him because he is he is a great basketball player but for what we're trying to do here I just have a tough time paying up for him because he never gets that five times and I know a lot of people argue that you, you can get, you know, 40 points out of Anthony Davis and your lineup's still good. But, you know, I try to predicate my lineup on getting five times out of every guy. If I'm going to pay up to 10000 for a guy or whatever it may be, I want it to be a guy that's going to get right at that five times. You know, if it's four and a half times, you can take that. Um, but with him, I, he just doesn't get the 50 points enough for me. Yeah, if you get four times on a $10,000 guy... Um, you're really missing out on 10 points there. And then maybe you're relying on a $4,000 guy um, to get to like seven times value then to make up for that. And that's not necessarily something that you really want to have to rely on, I think. So <clears throat> it is definitely important, I think, to at least get, like you said, four and a half times out of your big guns. Other things I saw... Um, I think Carmelo and D-Wade belong in the game. I'm not sure that they deserve to start. I think Jimmy Butler probably deserves a starting nod. And if I was going to pick a guy to start from the Heat, I'd probably pick Bosch. Um, but you can't, I don't think, argue with Carmelo and D-Wade being on the team. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. I don't think you can really argue with those guys being there. I mean... If you try to look down the line and find guys to replace them, I mean, they're, they're not going to be the guys of that caliber. Um, I think D-Wade is healthier than he's been in a while, and it's kind of showing. He's out there able to produce. Um, I don't know if you saw Did you see the letter that his kid wrote to him? I did. That was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah very interesting. Um, see if he takes some of that stuff to heart or, you know, if it's just a, something that gets out publicly and kind of turns into a, a mushy story. But I think... I think everything he said was right. You know, when he attacks, he's still got it. And he's still very good and can absolutely put pressure on the defense. And, I mean, he's playing well this year now that his knees aren't letting him down. Now he's worried about his shoulders. But um, he's still going out there putting up games. And some, and from a fantasy stand, standpoint, I mean, he's had some really explosive games. I think the other night he had a monster output for fantasy value. Yeah. I saw an interesting stat today, too, Ed. Um, I don't know if you saw this, but I didn't know if you had any comments on it. Since 2005-2006, there's four players that have made every single All-Star game. Now, this year, um, we're missing Duncan and Dirk, so I think those two guys would have been up there with them. And you could make a case that Dirk did belong getting there. But LeBron um, and Kobe, obviously. And then the other two are Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh been in all of the last 10 All-Star games. So I thought I thought Bosch being there was kind of interesting, but I think it just goes to show how how good he's really been for a long time. And I think he kind of got what Kevin loves getting treatment now. I think Bosch still was a good player 3 4 years ago when everybody kind of was sour on him, but I think it was more just that third wheel factor. Yeah, I think you could definitely agree with that. Um he just he, I, I, he wasn't supposed to be part of that deal. He wasn't supposed to be part of the big three. He was just kind of the bring along, and I think he kind of took that backseat role, um, but was still effective all the while and was a big part of what they did in Miami. And, and, and I don't think if they had him playing that stretch four and what he brought to the table for them, that they would have been able to do what they did. All right, so let's get into the what we really wanted to talk about here with the East and West All-Stars. Give me some guys, your favorite guys to go after um, out of these big guns. Now, when we talk about these guys, other than Kobe and D. Wade, most of them are $8,000 and up um, most nights. So, again, you're looking for a consistent 40 to 50 points from these guys. Um, someone like Boogie Cousins, 
who gets up in the 11,000 now, you're, you're, you need 55 points for him to hit five times value. So, with that being said, who are the guys on the All-Star teams that you find yourself playing more often than not? Well, I've started right where you started with Boogie. I mean, he's been on an absolute tear lately. So, even going up to that $11,000 price range, I still find myself plugging him in um, as much as I can because there's been such great value on the slates. I mean, there's been injuries everywhere. So, you're finding those $4,000 guys you can plug in that are going to get 30 points for you just because they're getting an uptick in their numbers and you can still afford to put a Boogie in there. And, I mean... If Cousins doesn't get your five times, he's a guy that I can kind of sit with that with. I know that doesn't really make sense. It's contradictory to what I just said, that I want to go five times across the board. You know, if I put Anthony Davis out there and he doesn't get five times, I'm kind of angry about it. Well, let me, like yeah, let me cut you off there just because with those two guys especially, um, Anthony Davis, he almost is contrarian right now. But Boogie... It's almost like if Boogie gets you 40, 45 instead of 55, you and everybody else has him because I think everybody is on Boogie right now. Yeah, and that's when it, that's when it becomes, you know, okay. Like, okay, I threw him in there and he got me 45 points. I can take that. And I'll be okay with him taking 40 points because I know when I put him in my lineup, there's a chance that he's going to go for 55, 60 points. He had so 81 he earlier for, this week. What's that? He had 81 earlier this week. Yeah, in a double overtime game. I mean, you can't really bank on that. I, I know he fouled out in that game early as well in the overtimes. But, you know, th- he's just got so much upside, like, more, over his value. Like, he can go out there and absolutely dominate with the tear he's on right now. He's averaging ridiculous numbers over the over the month of January. So, like, I could throw him in there and be okay with the four times coming out of him because I know there's a good chance that you still get six times with that price range. And I feel like he's a safe four times rather than Anthony Davis leaving the game with a boo-boo in the first quarter. Um, going to some other guys, I think Russ and Durant mm-hmm. together are an absolute tear. It's, you know, there's been a lot of value out there, so sometimes you can find yourself getting both of them in your lineup. Yeah. I feel like there was, there was a week or two ago where it was almost you had to pick and you had to hope you picked the right one. Yep. And I, I think that's kind of faded away. Yep. Russ has become... Back to his triple-double status. He's going out and grabbing rebounds, getting assists. He's getting back into that point guard role. I think that's come with the fact that him and Durant have been together enough this season to kind of get back into what each other do well together and that you can see them meshing together again. So those are two guys that are absolutely in the lineup regularly. Yeah, Um, I've seen some guys, um, especially this week, have Russ, Durant, and Harden all together, which those three used to be teammates. And to me, that's just crazy to think about I mean that that's a better big three than LeBron Bosch and Wade yeah arguably mm-hmm. I, th- I think you could definitely make that case and hey. like that that's that's what's so crazy about all the injuries right now is you can do that on DraftKings it's I feel like it's so tough to go top heavy at times but with all the injuries right now and all the four thousand dollar guys you can roll out there right now even the five thousand dollar guys that are filling in um you can absolutely do it you know, and some some nights you can go top heavy and find great value. <clears throat> Other nights, depending on the slate, it's tough to get you know as top heavy and still find the value. But I think we're going to find it easier to find the value because I, you know now that the NFL is wound down, I think the NBA really has picked up. I think there's you know the, I think the four game slates are kind of behind us, so that I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of four game slates for a night. But, ahead of us. I think it's mostly six, seven, eight, nine games a night. So there's going to be plenty of value guys out there to snag up because, you know, it's the time of the season where teams are getting banged up, you know, getting into that midway point. So there's a lot of value out there where you can certainly go top heavy and still fill in a full roster and and be comfortable with the guys you have in, not throwing a dart in at the bottom of your lineup. Here's a a group of guys that um, isn't really one player, but Let's group together Steph Curry, um, Chris Paul, and John Wall. I feel like normally you always have one of those three in your lineup too. Yeah, and I've been, out of the three of them, I think Wall is the guy that I've found myself always fading. And I don't I don't know why. I don't know if it's been intentional. I just feel like 
they're like he's not as consistent, and I don't know if that's really a, a, a true testament to his game or if that's something that's just in my mind, and, I, and that's what I'm going with. Um, you know, I sprinkle in some curry there, uh, not not cooking wise, some Steph Curry. So, <laughs> um, but CP3 out of those guys, Chris Paul is a guy that I've been playing a ton of lately since uh, the Blake show is gone. I've been throwing a lot of CP3 out there. He's been great since Blake Griffin's been out. His numbers are phenomenal. So he's a guy that you can expect big games out of regularly. Um, I think he's playing, you know, top notch in, in a league that has a lot of really good point guards right now. You know, him being a little bit older than some of these other guys that are doing it now, and the Currys and John Walls and Kyle Lowry's, but he's still getting it done. He's still playing at a high level, and he's producing in the absence of Blake Griffin. Yeah, and just going back to John Wall real quick here. He's really the he's really the least expensive of the tier one point guards, and probably the least productive too out of the tier one point guards. When you talk about Russ, Curry, CP three, um, even like a guy like Lowry. So, if I feel like if you're gonna pay um, for Wall, you'd probably rather um, pay up for like a Durant and a Harden, and maybe go with a Marcus Smart or someone at point guard. So. Yeah, I mean, I just pulled up his game logs now. His game logs, I mean, they really aren't they really aren't far off from what Lowry does. I, I just, I don't know. Maybe it's the absence of Beal, and I feel like he's missing his running mate. And I feel like Washington's not very good. So I feel like there's always that chance that he could falter very easily like he did against Boston when he put out a 29.5 fantasy production. That was just three three games ago for him so um but if you look back six games ago he had 79 so i don't know there's a that seems to be a little bit more of a boomer bust potential with him um and i don't know why i feel that way i just feel like you know his his shooting percentage falls all over the spectrum you you never know what he's going to go out and give you shooting the ball and that's kind of a big part of his game is, is scoring um you know, he's, he's had some, some nice assist outputs, but I don't know that always going to be there because his running mates aren't really top-notch right now. He doesn't really have a solid number two, I feel like. All right, any any other guys that you find yourself playing that you want to talk about here? Um, Some of the other guys, I think the only ones we didn't talk about that I highlighted is guys that I find myself throwing in a lot. Jimmy Butler's <clears> one. <throat> I know he's kind of fallen off that hot run he had earlier, but... I mean, it was a few short weeks ago where Jimmy Butler seemed like a must-have. Yeah. You had to have him. And now I think some of the decline we're seeing with him is I think that Derrick Rose is becoming more effective. Um, he's, not a, he's not a guy that I want to have a, a huge piece of in Derrick Rose but for fantasy aspect, but he's kind of starting to bring back a little bit of a game that Chicago needs. They found themselves slumping hard there for a little bit. Um, but now he seems like he's getting to the, the rim a little bit more. Um, so maybe that's taken Butler's usage down a little bit. When Derrick Rose was really struggling, it was Butler and only Butler out there. Um, but, you know, he's kind of taken – I don't want to say he's taken a backseat because I still feel like it's Butler's team, hands down. But his production's taken a little bit of a backseat. Um, the other guy I'll talk that I wanted to say I find myself having a lot of is Paul Millsap. Oh, I was hoping you were going to get to him. Yeah, we've been running him out pretty regularly. He's been great. Um I feel like, I don't know if this is true, but I feel like he's one of the better rebounding power forwards. I feel like he comes down with a lot of rebounds, and that's a, that's a stat that you need to rely on uh, when you're going into a power forward spot. There's so many stretch fours now in the league, um, and that's one reason that I find myself, you know, I'm, I'm jumping ahead of where we're headed here, but I find myself fading Bosch a little bit more than maybe I should because I feel like his rebound numbers aren't always there Yeah. because he plays that stretch four. He's always away from the basket, but I feel like Millsap, you know, kind of brings, you know, a little bit of both both games there. I feel like he can stretch it a little bit, but he's also down there banging for rebounds, which is something you need from your big guys. Yeah, Millsap is going to be the guy that I was going to say he's a guy that I usually look at. And same with Drummond. I mean, you talk about rebounds. Drummond's a guy who has been pretty good. Um in what's not necessarily a great offense. I mean, 
when you talk about Detroit, um, guys that we like to play from Detroit, we usually try and find a Caldwell Pope once or twice a week, and um, we've been looking at Reggie Jackson a little more than um, we had in the past, but Drummond's a guy you can always look at in Detroit. All right, you talked a little bit about fading Anthony Davis. Is he the guy you want to start with for all-stars that you fade generally? Yeah, I mean, I've already said all I can say about Anthony Davis. I just don't feel like his production matches up with his price on a, on a consistent enough basis for me to want to roll him out there and put money on it. Um, you know, some of the other guys I fade, and <laughs> I feel like a lot of the reasons why I play guys – a lot of the reasons why I fade guys is just because of the offense that they're in and the style that they play. I, I want that up pace, that up tempo, high pace play when I'm trying to find guys. I, I factor that into what we're doing as we've talked in previous podcasts. So I always find myself fading Kawhi Leonard and Lamarcus Aldridge just because the Spurs play that slow paced offense. I mean, their offensive efficiency is great. But I just feel like there's not enough shots for all those guys to go around. I find it so hard to figure out if it's going to be a Kawhi Leonard night or the Marcus Aldridge night, um, which takes me right into the reason why, you know, I was on Clay there for a while when he had that real hot streak as Curry was kind of missing games here and there. He kind of really took over. But I find it hard to play Clay Thompson as well because I never know when it's going to be his night. I, I feel like it's so hard to predict. And I've, I've I've been spending some time lately <clears throat> looking back at our data sheets, trying to find some sort of correlation and when when is it a Curry night and when is it a Clay night. Now, last night I was on Curry, and Clay went out and had a nice game. Luckily, my lineup was good enough. That's the one that we put on uh, the Twitter feed, the lineup that I posted. I think I got 30-couple from Curry. And going into that late-night game, I know I texted you and said, if I get 50 from Curry... We're, I'm breaking 300 with this lineup, which is, you know, always a goal. That's like the number you try to get to to be pretty high up in all the standings. And we both kind of thought 50 from Curry was a lock, and then he went out and got 30, 30 fantasy points. And it was a clay night. So um, that's something I always struggle with with those guys. And that's something that's just so different from some of the other guys that I like to have a lot of. Um, Curry's usage is obviously really high always but I just feel like one of them kind of takes over a game and I feel like they're so they're so good they they understand how to feed the hot hand so if Clay gets going early they're going to feed him um whereas you look at guys like CP3 and I mean he's the guy he's always going to get a stat at the offensive end I feel like whether it's an assist or he's scoring the ball whatever it may be um yeah I agree with that a guy that a guy I don't I don't intentionally fade him, but Draymond Green. I feel like you and I never have any Draymond Green. Yeah, he's the other he's the other one part of that trio. I just said that I like to have a lot of the high paced teams and things like that, but they they're so good they don't have to rely on one guy. It's almost good to go to a team like Detroit, like you were just saying. They're they're not an offensive juggernaut. You feel like if they're going to score. Uh, Drummond has to touch the ball during their possession, and that's absolutely not the case with uh, Golden State. You know, whoever brings the ball down can pop a three, and they're okay with that, and that's how they play. And you know, your guy might not get a touch on ten straight possessions just because Curry and Clay are feeling it. If you're running Draymond Green out there, and then there could be a night where he's the one running the floor and getting all the threes. It's just so hard to predict. Um, with those guys, so yeah, I find myself staying off of Draymond Green a lot as well. Um, trying to see if there's anybody else here that we didn't. Paul really talk. George is a guy that, after last night, you know, I, I feel like I, I wanted to highlight him as a guy that I always have a lot of because I feel like I've tried to run him out there so much in the last couple weeks, and I feel like every time I run him out there, he lets me down. Mm-hmm. So like, he's real close to. As I went through our, our script here, I high, I bolded the guys that I have a lot of and put the guys that I usually fade in italics and then the guys that I sprinkle in there I left alone. I was so close to making him bold, and then I got to thinking that in the future I'm going to fade him so much I should maybe italicize him. Yeah. And then I just kind of left him alone because 
I don't know where I'm going with him. I mean, he was, he was explosive there for so so many games in a row, and now it's just it's all over the place. I know he got in foul trouble early last night and didn't really get into the rhythm of the game, but I don't know. I don't know where I stand with him. Yeah, he really pissed me off last night. <laughs> that, yeah. that was not cool. <laughs> it's so, and that's the thing with daily sports, especially with basketball. When you know football, at least you get a week. You get a week off. You know, if if you have someone that goes out and throws up a stinker, if you had Calvin Johnson that goes out and gets two catches for twenty yards, you have a week to kind of blow it off, and next week pick apart the matchup and be like, all right, you know, Calvin Johnson can come back and go off this week. And many times after he had a two for twenty game this year, he followed it up with a pretty good game, except for you know that there's, I think he had like two weeks in a row where he stank. But yeah. anyway. With basketball, I find it so much harder to do that. You know, Paul George lets me down last night. If he's playing again the next night, I, I find it hard to plug him back in my lineup. And that'll be the time he goes for 60 fantasy points and absolutely burns me. Um, that's one thing I feel like I need to get better at because I, I'm absolutely holding grudges against some of these guys. Yeah, you really have to have a short memory. Um, and we're going to, as we get into the baseball season too. You know, you're going to find yourself having to play guys that went 0 for 4 the night before. And um, the, in baseball, those are kind of the guys that you want to play. But there's so many more opportunities in baseball. So, two guys that we didn't talk at all about, really, LeBron and Carmelo. They're, they're fade more than we play them. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm up in the air with LeBron still. I feel like when I play him, I'm angry about it for half the game, and then the other half the game, I feel good about it. And it's strange. I just feel like he never has his foot on the pedal. You know, I tried... The first day that I really bought in big to LeBron was Christmas Day. I was like, all right, they're playing Golden State. It's Christmas Day. Like, LeBron's got to show up. And he was okay, but, like, it wasn't what I expected from him. I thought he was going to go out there and take that game over as the best player in the league still from from many points of view. I mean, I know a lot of people are trying to put Curry up there with him, but, you know, LeBron still has that title until someone takes it from him rightfully. And I just expected in a big game he'd go out there and, and do more. Um, it's just I feel like it's so hard to pick the nights that he's going to play hard because I feel like he's, after last year when the team was run down, and they went to the finals, and it was only him, and he was shot because he's getting older now, and he can't he can't go hard for an 82-game season and then still go hard the whole way through the playoffs. I feel like he's saving himself. And that makes it tough for me to get him in there. Um, and Melo, I mean, he's been easy to fade because he hasn't been healthy. So he's been an easy fade. And, you know, he had a couple nice games, you know, a little while back before the injury bug got him. But... He, I know we've talked. He's so scoring dependent. He's not going to go out there and rip down ten boards. He's not going to go out there and get seven assists because he doesn't pass. I mean, <laughs> he's going to take the ball. And I watched him before the injury. I, I can't remember what game it was, but I watched him, and he was like trying to run people over and throwing shots up that went off the top of the backboard. And I was like, you know, he doesn't care what the shot looks like. If he wants to take the shot, he's taking it. Yeah, and that makes him tough to play because you know he has to score thirty points, has to mm-hmm. to get to to give you a shot to get to that five times value. He has to score thirty, and it makes it tough for you to really rely on a guy that has to be so scoring dependent. Yeah, I know we've been playing Langston Galloway. Uh, you had him the last two nights, but I find myself really fading the Knicks in general as a team a lot lately. I mean. Perzingis was a guy that I was running out almost every day just as uh, quickly as a couple weeks ago. But he's so popular now that his price almost makes him untouchable for me, along with the fact that he's banged up. So the Knicks are in general are a team I've been kind of staying away from. Yeah, they're a tough team to get a piece of. I mean, it's, it's amazing how when Carmelo goes down, how much more do you think you can get a piece of the Knicks? Yeah. It's, it's almost like you feel like that frees up 40 shots. Yeah. Someone's got, to take, someone's got 40 more shots to take. You know, it's like, to use the football analogy again, it's like when a receiver goes down that gets 12 targets a game, you, you can play the number three receiver because someone's got to get 12 more targets. That's how I feel when Mello goes down. Like, I'll take it, any piece of the Knicks. 
I'm all over Derek Williams every time Melo goes down because he's been pretty good, first of all. But second of all, someone's got to take the shots. And Aflalo's been a good play when he goes down. But you can't, you absolutely can't touch Aflalo when Melo's out there because that's 10 less shots that Aflalo gets. Yeah. So, but yeah. yeah, Galloway's been huge. I find it, I know Calderon brings a little bit more a defensive edge to them, but I feel like he's playing so well right now that I wouldn't be surprised if his minutes stay up higher. I mean, he's a proven guy. He's a guy that's going out there and done it before. He's not just coming out of nowhere, so... I would be I wouldn't be surprised if he's a guy that maybe we can still get a piece of even when Melo and Porzingis are back. Yeah, I mean I, I I like what the Knicks are doing as a team, so I I would agree about that with Galloway and even Derek Williams. He wasn't great tonight, but um, he's still a guy that I would consider playing here as, as um, the Knicks keep going, even with Carmelo starting to get healthy, but. Calderon is a guy that I just stay away. There's no, there's nothing there DFS wise. Um, no, I think I, he's out there to play defense. Yeah, I mean that's all he brings, and he prides himself on that. I watched him in a matchup the other week where, he, you know, he was priding himself on on playing at the defensive end, and that's what he brings to them. And I guess when you got guys like Melo on your team, you need someone that's going to play a little D. All right. Um, I agree, and let's move forward here with the our personal All-Stars, guys that, I don't want to call them matchup-proof, but guys that more often than not, you know, we're throwing into our lineup as a good value. Um, leading off for me, a guy that I always seem to find in my lineup at the guard spot is Marcus Smart. The things I like about him, he's usually under 5,500. Um, which is that's a nice benchmark for a player that you're hoping has a shot to get to 30 points. He seems to be out there in the fourth quarter for them, um, mainly because I don't think they trust Isaiah Thomas's defense. Um, Smart plays pretty good defense, and he gets involved um, on the rebounding end and also with assists, obviously being a guard. He's hit five times value for me, a lot more than he hasn't, um, more so than... Isaiah Thomas and Avery Bradley for me, those guys, I feel like I always miss on them. So, Smart, I don't want to say he's better, but I feel like he's been more consistent as far as hitting five times value. Um, And the other thing is, between Smart, Thomas, and Bradley, two of those three are always on the court, and I feel like their minutes are pretty close. So, I like Marcus Smart. He's a guy that I'm always looking at, um, and a guy that I find myself owning more often than not. Who who's the first guy you want to talk about from your list? Well, I'll go same team. The first guy that I always find myself throwing out there is Avery Bradley. Um, I, I, he's a great shooter. He can go out. I, I think that last night he knocked down like six threes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean that's a lot of points right there to get you to start for a guy that's usually pretty decently priced. Um, you know he's throwing out a clunker or two on me, but I feel like there's a good good value for him and what he does on a consistent basis. And I think that the, the fact that we both just rolled out Marcus Smart and Avery Bradley as our as our first, you know, these are really more of our value All-Stars. Yes. Not like, I mean, all the high-priced guys are in the real All-Star game, so we're trying to throw out, like, value All-Stars, the guys you can go to that are cheap, that are, you know, what you think are locks nightly to get you that times five. And the fact that we threw out Smart and Bradley right away kind of shows where we stand with Isaiah Thomas, and that's the one person I pointed out as someone where you think, like, eh, what, you know, why is he in the All-Star game? And, then, I mean, we're looking at it from a fantasy aspect, but um, I feel like these two guys, um, I've had some smart as well lately. I feel like they're both guys that are consistent on a much more regular basis than Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, I agree, and um, I just like, I like the Celtics team, Um Jay Crowder's a guy that we were playing for a little while there. And Solinger and Olenek, I mean, I was pounding Olenek early in the year, and now that his minutes have kind of fallen back with some guys getting healthy. But Solinger, Olenek, and Amir Johnson, um, those three are always you know getting close to value too. So I think the Celtics in general as a team are, are a DFS team that you can, you can always kind of look at and find two or three guys that are pretty decent values to get in your lineup. Yeah, 
the other thing with Smart is, I mean, they're playing well right now. Yeah. They've been on the right end of some lopsided wins <laughs> lately, and that's another reason why Smart's been on the court for the fourth quarter. And I think Bradley's staying out there and, and things like that. They're just, they've handed it to a couple teams here in the last week. So, I mean, that's great for when you're playing a guy that comes off the bench and you know that Thomas is going to go to the bench and you know you're going to get extra minutes out of Smart if you can kind of project those blowouts. Yep. Um, my second guy, Carl Anthony Towns, number one pick in the draft last year. Um, him and I have had a real good run, especially this week. The thing about him, though, is I kind of feel like this might be the last week of our marriage. <laughs> um, he's $7,100 tonight on DraftKings, and for me, that just means that inevitably he's getting to be at a point where I'm going to stop paying for him because... It's not going to be long, in my opinion, till he's at the 8,000 mark. And at that point, um, I think I'm going to be off on him because I think I think he has a shot to get to 40 every night, but I don't think more often than not, I don't see him getting to that 40 mark. And I think center, especially in the last week or two, we've been able to find some real, real nice values. I've had a lot of Spencer Hawes this week. He's been very good. Um, we both have had a lot of Miles Turner this week. That's been helpful. Um, so Towns is a guy that when he was like 6,500 and 6,800, um, I was just pounding him every night making sure I get him in the lineup because I kind of like what the T-Wolves are doing too. I mean, this is another team. They're not good, um, in terms of the NBA, but between Towns and, you know, everyone's on Zach Levine tonight and Andrew Wiggins, there's times where you almost have to have him in your lineup between those three guys. Um, there's definitely been some value in Minnesota. So I've been using Towns a lot in the last couple of weeks. He's a guy that I've been looking at, but I don't think that that's going to last more than a week or so um, after tonight. So Towns is a guy for me that um, I've been a fan of. Yeah, I'm a fan of him as a basketball player. Too. I've watched some of his games here in the last week where he's done some things where I'm just like, he's really good. He's really good for how young he is. He can step away from the basket and do some things um, that allow him to be successful. And I just I think he's really good. I think he's got a bright future um, in the league. Unfortunately, like you said, his price is getting up there to where it becomes not quite the steady value that you're looking for. Um, the next guy I'll go to is another guy that's price is probably getting to that point where you start to wonder, but he's been so good in so many games and Ish Smith um, you know the one thing he brings is that he can really push the tempo and on a Sixers team that's absolutely atrocious he can he can get out there and run and he'll hunt his shot when he wants to and I don't want to I don't want to compare him to Carmelo but when I watch Carmelo hunt his shot it's ugly at times but I feel like Ish Smith finds his way to the lane and finds his is himself getting off a good shot when he really wants to hunt his shot. Um, so that's something that I like. Uh, now that the team's finally getting healthier, not that that's the reason why they've been so bad. They're bad because they just don't have talent, and they're not they're not together there yet. But the team's getting healthier now, so now he's finding himself with his assist numbers going up. I feel like um, Covington's been able to get himself going. It's another guy I've had a big piece of. Um, being a Duke fan... And loving Jaleel Okafor and what he did for Duke last year, this team I feel like is better when he's not healthy. Yeah. Um, which you know I don't know why. Well, I do know why. It's because he can't play defense and he can't rebound, and you can't play the center position and not do those two things. And it's a black hole whenever he gets the ball. I mean, the, he yeah. got lauded so much for his passing ability at Duke, but when he gets the ball in the NBA, he, it's going up. Yeah. It's almost like time stops when he gets the ball. Mm-hmm. He's going to face up. He's going to palm the ball and stand there. And, like, everyone just stops and watches. And maybe that's why he does take the shot because the Sixers just aren't good. You watch teams, like, you watch teams that are successful at the offensive end, like Golden State, where Curry's flying around the court, coming off of 25 screens before he gets a shot. Or guys, I mean, Reddick's playing the same way now. Yeah. They're shooting. I mean, they don't have a guy like that, first and foremost. But still, I mean, when the ball goes inside there, it's, it's, I feel like it should open your offense up. Um, he is the type of guy that I think 
you know, if you're running a half court set, like he should touch the ball. You know, they they prided themselves on uh, at Duke, and he was a very successful passer. But that's also because they had to send double and triple teams to him because it's a college game. Now he's got guys that can handle him, so he's not really used to that. Um, but yeah, staying on his Smith. I mean, as they get healthier, he seems to get better. Um, Nerlens Noel's been great for them, and that's really flourished with the absence of Jaleel Okafor. So all those guys coming together, getting healthy. Um, the Grant kid hasn't looked bad in the time that he's gotten. Um, so I think that's all helping Ish Smith become even a better product, and I think his price will probably continue to go up. Yeah, if he gets that eight thousand, if he gets eight thousand, you can't run him out there. But the Sixers, we've had a lot of Sixers lately, like you said, with Covington and Noel. Um, we've been playing um, almost a Sixer every night, and the thing you also like about the Sixers games is you always want to get a little bit of piece of whoever they're playing against because they can't stop anybody. Now they they were they will run offensively and not get back defensively. Yeah. So it's the perfect reason. I mean that that Suns game the other night we tweeted it out that we wanted every bit of that every piece of that game that we could get. I think I might have had like three Sixers and two Suns and wrote out a pretty decent lineup out of that night um, because they were just zinging up and down the floor, turnovers everywhere. As long as it wasn't the guys you had, it was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, were a lot of possessions to be had in a game like that. All right, my third guy, Gordon Hayward. He's a guy that I haven't necessarily played him a ton, um, but I've been watching his game logs real closely, and I've been really impressed with him the nights that I have played him. He seems to be the guy on the Jazz that everything goes through him. And the nice thing about him, too, is that he doesn't have to score a ton of um, real points to get you fantasy points. He fills up the assist and rebound column from the small forward position. And um, I just really like Gordon Hayward and the way he plays the game. And we talk a little bit about the forward positions being sometimes tough to fill. And Hayward and even a guy like Chandler Parsons, I find him to be um, in that similar mold of Gordon Hayward. They're guys that I'm always looking at at the small forward spot. I find myself playing Parsons more than Hayward because of the price difference, but um, I have no problems with Gordon Hayward, and he's a guy I'm going to keep watching here for the next couple weeks. Yeah, I can see that in Gordon Hayward. I think I just find myself steering so far and clear of Utah. They're the slowest-paced team. They never look good in our formula. Yes. It's tough, but... At the same time, like they're not good, and it's Gordon Hayward or no one. So, I mean, on those slow-paced teams, you can still get their best player that doesn't cost a ton of money and, and be okay with it. Yeah, the thing uh, the thing about Utah, we made some adjustments to our, our formula this week, and we started working in offensive efficiency. They're, they're pretty efficient offensively, so I think this week especially, since we mixed that into our formula – um, Hayward has looked better, and the Jazz players in general have looked better than they were. Um, we were just going off pace, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. And to touch on that, you know, we found ourselves the reason we we wanted to dig deeper into it and add some to our spreadsheet. We just found like this the spreadsheets we were running out with just pace and opponents rank. Um, it was so weighted heavily on pace that. It was almost never going to tell us to play a Spur or a Jazz player or even a Cav. even really a Cavs player, maybe even a Heat player because they're slow too. Um, doesn't mean that they're not good teams. It doesn't mean you're not going to find a guy that's going to go off because they, te- they all have guys on those teams that are great five times, six times value guys. Um, so we needed something else. So now we've got that, that offensive and, and we're also valuing in their opponent's defensive efficiency and how bad – they are at the defensive end as a team, Um, you know, because not just opponents rank against that position is important. If you're going to get the assists and stuff, you want to bat overall defense and offensive rebounds, and it all comes into effect with that. Um, So that's kind of what we did. And I'll get into my third and final value all-star guy. Um, This one was easy for me, especially over the last week or two here with the injury bug coming. Uh, For me, it's Drew Holiday. Um, his minutes have kind of have kind of stayed the same. He's been around 
you know, that mid-20. I mean, looking back at the beginning of the year, he had some real low 20s, but he's been up in the mid-20s as far as minutes. These last two games, he's gone up to 36 and 33 minutes and gotten really good value. Uh, his two biggest scoring outputs, fantasy-wise, um, in the game he got 36 minutes, he put out 58 points. And in the game that he had 33 minutes, almost 34 minutes, he had 43.8 points. I mean, he's an absolute stud right now, and I can't even remember what his price is. I want to—is he around 55? Uh, I think I think he's been creeping up to 65 now. Okay, yeah. He, I mean, he's going up because of the usage that I'm sure he's seeing across the landscape. Um, you know, with Evans being hurt and. Now Anthony Davis being hurt, it seems like it's kind of fallen into Eric Gordon being out. Yep. It seems like it's fallen into Drew Holiday or bust. And, you know, the, the most amazing part of it is he's putting all this out there and he comes off the bench. He's still not starting. Um, with that being said, another guy I could have thrown in there, Norris Cole. Norris Cole's been pretty good too. He's the guy that's been getting the starter, starter role, but his, I don't think his minutes are far off from what Drew Holiday's doing. I think they've both been getting around the same with all the injuries they have. But he's been a guy that's been highly effective as well. <clears throat> I think he might have been in the lineup that we posted on Twitter last night for me. I know I had pieces of him last night. I can't remember if he was in that one that we posted or not. Uh, it's um, not ringing a bell, but he might have been. It might have been a different lineup. I, I know I had Holiday and Cole in the same lineup last night. <clears throat> both of them did very well for me. Uh, I think they were both actually... I think they went for 43 points apiece. So they're, as long as Anthony Davis is out... If those other guards can stay out, you can absolutely run out Norris Cole and Drew Holiday together and feel comfortable with it because neither one of them are priced too high and both of them have a ton of upside with all the injuries they have. Their usage is just through the roof. I mean, they have to do it. Um, really, like we said, for the whole team, Alon- Alonzo G wasn't even that bad of a play last night. He, had, he ended up with an okay night. Um, so tons of value on that on that team right now as long as those injuries stay. I'm going to throw out one more name um, I want guys to keep an eye on here. Noah Vonley um, for Portland. You know, when you talk about Portland, we really talk about Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. Um, Vonley has been a guy that if he gets over 20 minutes, he gets to 20 fantasy points. And at $3,200 right now, if you're getting someone for 3200 bucks, it gets to 20 points. That's almost seven times value. Um He's a guy at the power forward position that I always find myself kind of fading the power forward position. Vonley's a guy that I have out there tonight in a couple lineups. And uh, one of my lineups right now is projected for 290. Um, so Vonley is a guy that I'm going to be definitely keeping an eye on every time Portland plays the next couple nights. All right, Ed, anything else you want to talk about before we wrap it up here? I wanted to mention to you before we came on, but I guess I'll surprise you with it. One thing I wanted to talk about, off the topic of NBA, I wanted to switch NFL here before the Super Bowl because I know we didn't we didn't do anything NFL-wise this week because the, the, the fantasy game is kind of done with it, unless you're finishing up some of the playoff pools like we are. Um, the one thing I wanted to talk about that's all over the news and just kind of get our take on it is the Cam Newton situation. Everyone's just throwing out all this stuff about Cam Newton since he came out with the press conference and saying that people were people feel uncomfortable because they've never seen a black quarterback do this. And um, I was watching a show today and, and listening to the radio, and people were people were coming out with this notion that unless you're a Panthers fan or a Panthers player, you know, if you're a fan of another team, you have to hate him. Like you can't like him if you're a fan of another team. And I, I'm so far away from that, you know. Um, I just wanted to kind of get your take on it and see what you thought of the situation. I know we've been back at Cam all year. Um. Um, all right, so Cam, for me, he's a guy, he's like one of the reasons that I want my two sons to grow up watching football. I mean, I, I've talked a lot. I don't really have a favorite NFL team because of how much I get into fantasy. But at some point here, I mean, my kids are all, my kids are both under the age of two. Um, I'm going to be buying NFL jerseys for him, and Cam would probably be the first jersey I would buy for one of them. I mean, I love everything Cam stands for in the game. Um, I love the way he plays. I, I, I'm i not a Panthers fan by any means, um, but what he brings to that team and the way he plays and 
every every game to him is life or death, and that's how I want to treat my kids. How I want to teach my kids how to play sports. I want them to go out there and play with that effort and that intensity and have fun doing it um, every time they go out there. So I I'm completely with you on that. I couldn't be farther on the other side of that take that everyone has. Um, I love Cam. I don't necessarily want him to cost Peyton Manning a Super Bowl, um, but I love Cam Newton. Yeah, and I, the thing for me is I just sit back and watch some of these shows, and I just wonder, like, how, how media-driven is that notion and, and that belief and that thought? Like, how much are they feeding into it to give themselves a story? I just wonder how many people are truly sitting back watching Sunday football here the last couple the last couple weeks as he's in the playoffs. How many people are sitting back on their couch going, I can't stand this guy. Like, I don't even want him on my TV. Everybody, I, I, there's there's every- a lot of people out there that are like that, but I just feel like they blow it up way out of proportion to give themselves a story because, you know, I, I mean, I hated him in college. Couldn't yeah. stand him. But I'm a Florida State fan, and, you know, Auburn was really good. And he's been a winner at every level, and that's you know that's what they're missing. They came in. A lot of people hated him because he came in as a rookie and danced. Well, the guy doesn't know how to lose. He won a JUCO championship, a national championship at the Division One level, a Heisman Trophy. He's going to come in. He's going to be himself because he's used to being successful. Um, the thing for me is just the person he is, and I feel like it's so hard to see that for a college player. They're not getting paid. It's tough to see them doing charitable things and being good people and hand the ball to people, to little kids in the crowd because it's probably a 15-yard flag every time you hand the ball over the wall in college. It's tough to see what kind of person a college kid is. Um, but that's the biggest thing for me. I just think he's a good person. But I just I know it's all over the landscape right now heading into the Super Bowl. We didn't have any football talk, so I figured I'd throw something out there. Well, yeah, and the other thing I want to say um, about – I didn't like him at Auburn either, but there was a lot of um, controversy surrounding him and – if he was getting paid or not to play, and it, it kind of seemed um, a little fishy out there um, with all the stories that were out there about him, whether or not he really, you know, should be eligible to play or not. But uh, yeah, I think they're just looking for stories. And when you look at the Panthers team, what do you, what do you want them to talk about all week? Ted Ginn, um, this he is the story because he is that team. I mean, I'm surprised that Keekley and Thomas Davis aren't getting more buzz. Greg Olson, um, but they're going to talk about Cam because it's a quarterback-driven league, and he is so polarizing. And the other thing I wanted to add is, I think it's like everybody that's thirty years old, or thirty-five, or forty and up, they, they hate him um, because they want their they just want you to go about your business and kind of do it quietly. But I think our generation. Um, is kind of maybe getting behind Cam just because I, I don't know why. I think it's a generational thing. Yeah, I see that as well. It's definitely the, the older fans that are against what he's doing, which I, I don't really get that either. You can't tell me that people in the Steel Curtain weren't celebrating every time they ripped someone's head off and, and doing making big plays and things like that. It's been around forever. I mean, the Icky Shuffle... People weren't hating him because he was the first person to do an elaborate touchdown dance. People loved him, and he's well-known for it. And I, I, I don't know. I, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. I just feel like the media built this villain with him because every time he turned it on while he was at Auburn, all you could read about or talk about or see anywhere was the debate of whether or not he was being paid to play. So they built him into this villain before he even got to the NFL. Then he was a rookie, and they built, they built the villainous role for him even more because he was doing touchdown dances or now you know, he was sitting at the end of the bench. Yeah, he's sitting at the end of the bench because he's never lost before. He doesn't know what it's like to lose. And they weren't good when he got there. He didn't have a lot of talent around him. He wasn't used to it. Was he a bad person for that? No. He just, you know, Some people just need to be left alone when they're losing. So I feel like the media's built up this whole villain thing. And now, they're good. now you got people turning around in the media going, well, why does everyone hate him? Well, you force-fed it for, to us for three years, four years, and now all of a sudden that he's successful, you're wondering why everyone hates him. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm really excited to see the matchup of him against that Denver defense, though, because Denver, they played one of the best defensive games I've seen in a long time against the Patriots. That was a really incredible effort. 
um, and Cam is kind of just on a different level right now offensively. So I'll be interested to see him against Von Miller and company um, and see how that plays out. I think it's going to be a really good Super Bowl, but I do think Carolina wins. Yeah, it's going to be a great game. You're right, they did, they did play well defensively, but I was just baffled by how poorly coached the Patriots were in that game. When You know, I, I don't like the Patriots. I, I root against them 99% of the year as a Steelers fan just because we've taken some on the chin from them in the, in the playoffs and things like that. I just always find myself rooting against them, and Bill Belichick's at the forefront of you know, the Mount Rushmore of coaching. And to watch them not kick any of those field goals and to watch Von Miller be three steps in the backfield before the ball left the center's hand because as soon as he flinched, he was gone. And they refused to chip him. Yeah. I don't understand why Brandon Bolden wasn't in the game trying to decleat Von Miller every single snap. I, I, I didn't get it. it. It absolutely blew my mind. And that's the one thing that I'll say that Carol, I don't feel like Carolina's going to do that. I don't think they're going to sit there and beat their head against the wall with that pass rush. Pittsburgh didn't. I'm a Steelers fan. I'm a homer. That's been well documented on these podcasts. But Pittsburgh didn't sit there and beat their head against the wall with that pass rush. They found a way to contain it until the last drive. They kind of got to him and ate him up. But, I mean, they were guaranteed pass downs. So I feel like Carolina's going to find a way to scheme him up and, and use Cam Newton at what he's good at. And I'm just wondering, I'm wondering if Von Miller can tackle Cam. I'm pretty sure he's bigger than him, and unless he blindsides him, I'm wondering. I'm wondering if he can be successful. I love watching Cam Newton run over linebackers, getting up and telling them that they're they're little. Yeah, I think he might call them little boys, and like he laughs at them, and I absolutely love it because you know, like he said in his press conference, we don't have anything to compare it to. There's no there's no quarterback that's been running over linebackers on quarterback draws, mm-hmm. but it's the way the game's evolving. Athletes are far superior now than they've ever been. I mean, you think about some of the best scrambling quarterbacks and you, you, you want to throw John Elway in there. Well, I mean, he doesn't really wave a candle at Cam Newton and scrambling yeah. everybody. He, so he it, would... it is something new and it's fun. It's exhilarating. I like find myself standing up and screaming in the living room and flexing when Cam Newton runs <laughs> people over because I get jacked up. I would, like. I understand why... The Panthers are fully rallied around him and what he brings to the team. You can't not get pumped up when your linebacker or when your quarterback's trucking linebackers at the goal line. Yeah, I think we're going to see, and we're going to talk about this next week when we break down the Super Bowl. But I think we're going to see. I don't know if we're going to see Denver sell out in the pass rush like they did against Brady because Brady's basically got the mobility of the Statue of Liberty. Um, so they were really able to sell out. Cam Cam's going to be able to take off and I think go up the middle if they kind of surround him on the outside. So I think that game plan may change a little bit from Denver's end, but we'll talk about that next week. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see. Though. They're not going to be able to sell out off the edge with Von Miller jumping the snap like that because he will step up in the pocket and go. But I wonder how much more creative we'll see the blitzing game be. I feel like they had to... You know, they had to keep it backed off a little bit to make sure they were taking away Gronk with two and getting underneath of Edelman with their linebackers because he's going to kill you with slants if you don't. I just wonder how much more we'll see him blitz now because, I mean, you take away Olsen and you feel like you you got to beat. I know Giddens been making play all year, all, plays all year. Philly Brown's been making plays when out of nowhere when you least expect it, like last week. But I'm just curious to see how much they ratchet up the blitz game to try and get to Cam and and what he does against that. It'll be a good watch, I think. Um, going back to the games that we talked about with that we would want to see last week, this was one of the matchups I think we all agreed on. I think we all wanted Denver, Carolina, or the other end of the spectrum with an offensive game. At least what we thought would be an offensive game, but Arizona looked pretty bad against yeah. that, that offense. So Yeah, you were, you were the one especially that said you wanted to see Denver and Carolina. Me and Shane were kind of like, and not so much, but then um, just watching Denver's defense again, it it kind of made me believe it now. This is going to be a game I'm going to have some fun watching. So, Oh, yeah, and then the way Carolina's defense yeah. came out and turned over Arthur Palmer and was out there smacking him around. It's going to be a slugfest, I think, and yeah. it's going to be awesome because some of the slugging might come from the quarterback of one of these teams when <laughs> he's 
delivering him as much as, if not more, than he's taking him. So it's going to be. I think this one's going to be a fun one. I always have a hard time getting jacked up from the, for the Super Bowl because I am such a Steelers fan. When they're not in it, I just kind of ho hum about it. But this was actually one that I think I'm excited for. All right, so find us on Twitter at Red Triangle Twenty Three. Um, find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Red Triangle Sports Podcast. Make sure you subscribe. Uh, leave some feedback for us. Rate, review. Um, hit us up on Twitter if you you know want to talk about anything that we kind of didn't talk about tonight or any comments that you guys feel uh, we were off base or you agree on. So we'd love to hear from the listeners. Um, otherwise, I am Matt Kozlowski signing off for Eddie Mitchum and Red Triangle Sports. <laughs>